from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Matt Cowart, I'm a director. Will Clark, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a director and a playwright. Uh, today we are doing the first uh, in what is going to be a five-part series about the stages of rehearsal. Uh, the five episodes are going to be about early rehearsal and table work, about exploration, about staging, about the run and work section of rehearsal, and about approaching tech and previews. Every director approaches these stages differently. Uh, In fact, some directors may define these stages differently, and we'll talk about them as we get to each one. And certainly every actor, and every playwright for that matter, has their own preferences for uh, the way each of those uh, sections of rehearsal and types of rehearsal will work. That being said, uh, theater is a collaborative art, and everyone's going to be in the same rehearsal room regardless of what their preferences for the way that that part of rehearsal is going to work. So what we're going to be talking about over the course of these uh, episodes is what it is that each of us as an actor or as a director or as a playwright wants to get out of each of these uh, parts of rehearsal and the ways in which we approach them to get the most for ourselves out of each of these sections of rehearsal. Uh, So today, in this first episode, we're going to be talking about early rehearsals and particularly about table work, Uh, that time when the actor and directors and playwright, if it's a a new play, uh, sit down at a table and discuss the play before they begin getting up and working on it. Uh, So before we start that, let's imagine it's the first day of rehearsal, Uh, you're walking into that rehearsal room, you're a director or you're an actor, Uh, what is it that you walk in with on that first day? What preparation have you done before that first day of rehearsal? I think that varies for me based on the amount of time and the kind of a rehearsal process we're going into, as well as the kind of play we're working on. Um, I think if I have um, if I have an ideal situation, I walk in with um, having done a lot of homework about what, like looking up words that are, might be confusing to me, and just kind of sitting with the play and reading the play, but I am not off book. Um, I am not, I've given some thought to what, what connects me to the character and what, what are my hooks into the play, but I definitely want to be able to come into the first rehearsal and get the chance to work with the other collaborators at the table. Uh, Yeah, Jen, I I really agree with that. Uh, From a director's standpoint, often in preparation for rehearsal, it's about doing all of your homework so that when you come into the room with the actors, you can really be present with them and begin to work on the play that they will help you create. So that, I mean, obviously you have cast the show, Otherwise, you'd be walking into an empty room. Uh, But you have also done all the design work with the designers. You've designed the set. You've done the costumes. Maybe those aren't finished, but you certainly have all of the groundwork laid out. Uh, You've done your own homework on the play. You understand what the play is saying, what the play is about. 
the purpose of each scene and how it serves the story of the play. Uh, so that when you're there with the actors, you can be diving in with them and not doing your own homework in the rehearsal room. And ab about that homework, because I also, as a director, tend to do a lot of homework before I walk in. Um, but it's something that I think even as sort of like a pre-stage of these stages of rehearsal we're talking about, that for me, each of these stages of, of rehearsal is really about preparing for the next stage of rehearsal. Preparing to be ready to be effective at the next part of rehearsal. The time you spend at the table is about getting ready to be effective when you get up away from the table. When you get up away from the table is about being prepared to be effective when you start get locked down into blocking, etc., etc., etc. And for me, the preparation really is about being prepared to come into that room. And so it's something that if I'm working on a full-length play, I will really, I will have spent about 80 hours alone with that script um, before I walk into a room with a group of collaborators. But the idea of that, as you said, Matt, is really about preparing myself to feel like I know the play, I know what's important to me about the play, I know information about the play in such a way that I am able to be a facile collaborator with the people in the room. And I think for from an acting perspective, um, I can do a ton of homework on my own in advance, but there are a lot of missing pieces for me before I get into that first rehearsal. It's not useful for me to make up too many ideas about what I think the production that we're about to work on is going to be. I need to come in and be in the room with the director and hear what production I'm actually in and meet the people I'm going to act with. And so I, as much homework as I can do that keeps me open to those possibilities so that I walk into the rehearsal the first day ready to um, embrace what everybody else needs to share with me. I think that's an interesting challenge for an actor coming into the first rehearsal because the, the obligation actors feel to make strong choices can be kind of daunting when you're going to a first rehearsal that has to be open and you have to be open to different ideas. So to do all this homework and to, and to stay open to the ideas, it's kind of an interesting balance you have to come in with and, and know that it's okay to have a lot of ideas, but it's okay if your ideas aren't the ideas that are going to be the ones used uh, when you get in the room for the first time with the rest of the people that are working on the play. It's, it, it's an interesting balance, I think. It's also interesting because depending on what you're walking into, I've certainly walked into rehearsals where I've never had the opportunity to read the play before, where it's a new play, it's a full-length play, I wasn't given the play ahead of time, and the purpose of the first rehearsal is to sit down and read the play. So I really came in with an open mind in terms of, you know, I'm gonna be working on this, whatever this play is for the next four weeks, and I'm gonna be with, you know, a, a room of people, but um, there's sometimes where you don't have that opportunity, but I really do like if it is something that you have ahead of time or if it's a well-known play or a published play, to be able to have read the play and to really, like Jen said, find the thing that strikes me already about it. And then I can kind of start get in the room with people and start exploring and, and kind of, you know, collaborating with the team, as it were. But um, to have the thing, I really do like to have a thing that strikes me about the piece that will help me. And I think that there is also something to realize the same way that we talked about that a director will have done some significant 
preparation coming into rehearsal, including working with designers, that there's a full design for the show generally by the first rehearsal um, and things like that, that as, a, as an actor, just having the text doesn't tell you enough about the production you're going to be in to really make any decisions about your character. And that idea, um, you know, to, to be aware of that and, and to do whatever preparation you're able to do to make you most able to spend the time in rehearsal effectively and that time focused on the things that you need to know from a director and the designers and the other actors rather than having to worry. I mean, for instance, if you know your character is a doctor on the plains in the 1880s, you can do some research about what that is so that you're not spending the your time with the director in the first rehearsal or the second rehearsal trying to pick their brain about what a doctor on the plains in the 1880s is about, where you can really be picking their brain about the angle at which we're coming into this production, what is the set it's going to take place in, what are the thematic values that we're going to be dealing with, etc., etc., etc. On that first day of rehearsal, or before that first day of rehearsal, uh, what uh, communication have you generally had, or what communication do you generally want to have uh, with your collaborators? Yeah, uh, I think specifically when working on a musical as opposed to a straight play, because the creative team is so much larger, there's, no, you know, if it's a new musical, there's the book writer, the lyricist, the composer, the choreographer, the music director, the director. Uh, and so oftentimes you will have had extensive meetings of pre-production with the choreographer and the music director, figuring out the general shape of numbers and how long the intro is and things of that nature. But I'd say that even on a straight play, it's important for me that I will have had at least some contact with every actor that I'll be working with. Maybe we go out for coffee, even if we just talk on the phone, so that when we walk into the room, we are not strangers meeting for the first time, but acquaintances that are coming together to work on something as a team, as opposed to, oh, hello, my name is Matt, who are you? Uh, that's something that I generally try and do for every show that I work on. And I think even if you're not able to get together for coffee, which is an ideal, I actually am personally not crazy about phone talking because I actually find you can misread, for me anyway, you can end up misreading each other. But I think even a, a, if you're, I mean, I think it is definitely ideal to be able to spend some time with people if you can. But uh, that idea of even just an email going to somebody, and especially a well-framed one that's not about a lot of information, not, but something that really gets across that you value them, that you're there as a resource. Dear Jenny, I'm very excited about working with you on this role, um, and uh, I think you're going to be excited about what we're going to be doing together. If you have any questions before we start rehearsal, don't hesitate to drop me a line. Sets up, you're glad they're there, you're there as a resource for them, but I think any little things that you can do to set up that dynamic before the first day of rehearsal, um, the better. I think that those are my favorite scenarios to, to have had that much contact with the director in advance of rehearsal. I would say that's not my most common experience and that often my encounter with the director has come primarily through the audition and callback process and the way in which I'm offered the job usually goes a long way towards that end of mm -hmm. being, being told what it was about my work in the room that 
makes me a fit for this production and a fit for this rehearsal process. And kind of having that information, whatever way it comes, but sometimes only from the process of, of being cast, um, that sometimes is the only way I know. Yeah, and that frankly is something as a director that can be a useful thing because you know for an actor to hear you know if you have a conversation the thing that I was really interested in you about this role was X Y and Z, um, it can be very you know that that that's something that's going to resonate with an actor. This is the thing that they liked about me. This is why they want me in the room, um, and it's going to put their mind in the place where you want their mind. Not to give away too many secrets, but sometimes it can be helpful to say one of the most exciting things I thought about you was this thing that might not have been something that was read that took you a while to get out of them in the rehearse in the callback room so that the actor walks in with the idea that oh it's that thing that they thought was exciting about me so they'll more readily go to the thing that took more work to get to in a callback scenario it also reinforces the idea that you, as the actor, were chosen. You were picked. They liked you and to bring you into the rehearsal process. Um, it, it makes you feel more comfortable and, and ready to go in and not self-conscious or, or like you need to perform. Or they, they liked you and they chose you for a reason. So if that's generally what you guys like to do before rehearsal starts, and frankly, we should do a whole episode about how especially a director prepares before uh, rehearsals begin. But if you guys as actors and directors uh, walk into the rehearsal room on the first day, what is it that you're looking to do in that room on the first day? Well, I think it's recently, I am primarily an actor, but I have uh, been directing some recently, and it's kind of... Uh, illuminated some of the aspects of working at the table and I think in the in the early stages uh, kind of uh, in line with what Jenny was just saying um, I, th I think a lot of it is about making the actors feel comfortable and safe at the table I think I found that it is a very safe place to be and and you can make it feel like a comfortable place uh, if you, if you uh, play it right because it's a good it's a place where you really can everyone can share their ideas and ask questions and have the freedom to kind of explore it together instead of trying to look at it through somebody else's lens and understand what is the show you're trying to do what is the show you're trying to do it's a time where we can all kind of toss out what our ideas are and then find out where they start to kind of come together well, there's something that's so, and I think it is something that really falls to a director in a lot of ways, that A, I think a big part of what a director wants to do on a first day is to establish their credibility in the room. You know, not just, I'm someone who should be leading this process because I've got the title of director, but that idea, if they've really done their preparation, you know, to be able to show that they are a resource to people, that they know things about the play, that they understand the play very carefully, that they have a point of view about the play. Um, and we should talk more about that. But also I think it's really important for directors to realize that it's also their role to give credibility to everyone else in the room also. You know, that there is sort of that default thing of the director is the captain of the ship, which they are. But if you're going to get the best work out of your people, and we've talked about this in the past, but um, you know, that you really need to empower them and that that's something that a director can really do on the first day by talking about, um, you know, and I, I think, I tend to think it's less 
this is why Jenny is helpful in this process, and this is why Will's helpful in this process, and this is why Jen is helpful in this process, but to really talk about how excited you are to have this team of people. This is why. This, these are the, the characteristics that these people have that is going to allow us to do a very exciting show. And, you know, that idea of letting people know in that first rehearsal that you are going to be counting on them to be doing their best work and, and that you're going to be looking to them to take chances and that you're going to be giving them room to take chances because that is what is going to make the show great. I have found situations where directors come in and try to establish themselves. You need to establish as a director your credibility, but not necessarily your authority at the very beginning, if that makes sense. You need to share the authority with the people around the table. Yeah, I really, um, just going off what you said, Kit, I really find that the first rehearsal is about galvanizing the people around the table. As a team, we are all here to make this play that we all have here the best possible play. And we are all here to do that together. And in that same regard, a lot of the first rehearsal for me is about making sure that we're all working on the same play. So not only getting the team together, but giving us a specific point of direction to head off on so that we're all on the same ship, quite literally. This is not a play about X or Y, this is a play about Z, and we're all here to work on Z. And I, that's something that I think is a really helpful thing as a director, you know, to set up in that first rehearsal process, the Z, you know, being the mission statement for the play is kind of what I like to think of it, is that this production, this play and this production, and again, the way I like to, to lay it out is not, it's going to be about this, but the ideas that I really want to explore in this process and in this play is this. Because explore is something we can all do together. Explore is an adventure that we can go on together. And yet, to be able to say, I am interested in exploring the stuff in the direction of the East is going to make sure that everyone is going off in that direction together, much more than if you say, the play is the East, because then you're going to get people saying, well, the only way I get any say in this is if I say it's the West. Whereas if you say we're going to explore the East together, that gives everybody a great deal of agency in the process. But also that idea of throughout the process, if you've set up at the beginning, you know, we're doing a production of Romeo and Juliet, and the thing that's, you know, I am really interested in exploring in this is the idea that, you know, these are families who love each other and that in the face of, you know, these things that are going on in, uh, you know, in, in their lives right now, it makes the it makes making the loving choice difficult. I mean, that's a way you can go at Romeo and Juliet. There's a million ways you can go at Romeo and Juliet. But if you lay that out in the first rehearsal, as that's what we're interested in exploring, it becomes a very easy touchstone throughout the process. That you do, it's not like pulling teeth. It becomes very easy at any of the process, any of the points of the process that we're going to talk about in this series to say, remember on the first day of rehearsal how we talked about that, you know. It's difficult for these people to, to show their love for each other, given the situation. Let's take a look a different way at how that manifests itself in the scene. Because it feels like, frankly, even if it's just coming from the director, it feels like a compact that we're all making. Um, and it tends to be something that people stand by, as, lo you know, as long as it's laid at the beginning, this is the journey we're going. I think that's really interesting, and, and for me, uh, coming into uh, a first rehearsal and as a director, getting everyone excited about what they're working on is 
is very important. And it can be an interesting thing to navigate as you're kind of, because you're in an exploratory phase and you're kind of figuring out what gets people excited and to find a way to take what they're giving you and what they seem to be getting excited about and have them leave the room feeling like that's what we're working on. I mean, I think it's actually, it can be simply done. I, I, I actually used to be a teacher and it was always funny to me, I, was, I, I taught choir and uh, I had a problem as a teacher because I never knew how to make music exciting for my students because for me, as because I always loved singing in choirs. It was so simple. I would just go and that was fun. And making it fun and exciting for other people, I thought, well, we're singing. Isn't that fun enough? <laughs> uh, but, 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 you know, I've realized that, you know, that everyone has kind of a different angle in, to, in different things that excite them. And I think being able to sit at that table and really listen to your actors and really be open to what they're giving you uh, is, is just a great opportunity to figure out what excites them and then find out how that is going to empower what you're trying to do and let them walk away with that instead of what you're trying to put on them. Let it be what they're bringing to you and, and, and leaving the room with. And as an actor, when I come into the room, I am looking for that kind of reassurance and that kind of guidance. And I'm definitely not looking for what you said, kid, about somebody who has established their authority to me. I'm looking for leadership, but I'm also looking for um, a safe place in which to kind of understand which play we're working on and to figure out what I'm excited about at this table with this group of people that's different from what I was excited about 45 minutes before I walked into the room. And I feel like getting to the table and hearing what the director lays out as sort of that central idea is, is incredibly helpful to me in exactly that way because I end up feeling like, oh, oh, I know how that relates to the thing I thought was exciting. And I end up feeling like I thought of it myself. Mm -hmm. And I leave the first rehearsal hopefully feeling that I'm in good hands with this director and they're going to help me make the connections of my ideas to the play we're doing. And that I've had the opportunity also to get to know him or her a little bit and also to get to know the other actors a little bit so that I really feel like I can, I can be brave with my ideas and be excited about them and share them with everybody in table work. I actually did a production a while ago of the Shanley play Italian-American Reconciliation and the producers, one of the producers was a chef, was an Italian chef and we did the first rehearsal in their beautiful apartment we, around a table and then when we finished the rehearsal they brought out this amazing feast and we sat and ate for four hours. Um, after we did our first read-through, which you can't do with every project, but that actually was an interesting one where I really left, I mean, th that was a real bonding experience for that cast, you know, that they did have a chance to really get to know each other in the course of, of that, which I think is a really important thing. And uh, additionally, I, I mean, in something that you just said, which I, <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but I know for myself as an actor when I act, that that idea of what I'm looking for from a director, especially in a first rehearsal, is direction. 
And that sounds silly, but it's not a map. It's not a, this is how every turn is going to go, but we're going that way. And that's incredibly helpful because I'm going to have my own responses to a play. I'm going to connect to it in different ways. But that idea of, oh, I want to start shaping my ideas in that direction is a very, very helpful thing to have. And yet still having the freedom to say, you know, we might get off the highway and take the scenic route. We'll see. But we're going that way. I also like, um, as an actor, to be... uh to be directed, but to kind of understand what the process is going to be of the the, the whole rehearsal process, yeah. kind of uh, you know to be walked through. You know, we'll be at the table for such and such time, and then we're going to get up on our feet, and then we're going to stage, and then we're going to mm-hmm. um, to kind of be walked through the process. So I'm not wondering how all of this is going to magically come together. Do you guys have any thoughts, and especially from a directing point of view? But actually, if you have thoughts from an acting point of view, I'm um, it, they would be interested, but um, the order in which on a first rehearsal you want to attack the day, what is the order in which you want to deal with things on a, a first day of rehearsal? On a first day of rehearsal, I mean, there's general things like obviously a meet and greet where you literally go around the room and say everybody's name, just so that we all know who all each other is, who's playing what part, things like that. Um, Generally, if there's any kind of design presentation, I find it's very useful to show the actors a model of the set, uh, what the clothes might look like, just so that before we begin to read the play, we're aware of the world that the play takes place in. Uh, And then I'll normally talk for five to ten minutes at most about what you were saying, Kit, the direction that we're all headed in, Uh, but keeping those remarks very brief to really allow the star of the first rehearsal to be the play itself. Um, I I feel like a first read-through is a very unique opportunity because it's the only time that the burden of acting is the least because you are saying the words for the first time and hearing the words for the first time. Uh, And I just really believe that uh, a lot of discoveries can be made. it's really about let's sit around and hear this wonderful play out loud so that we can all experience it together for the first time. Then there's housekeeping things, you know, like a stage manager is a useful person to say, rehearsals will be every day from 11 to 7 and things of that nature. But uh, I think that's kind of the general order in which I like to structure a first day of rehearsal for myself. I really like the idea of going through this play kind of cold and letting the play be kind of the star of the first rehearsal. And I think also something that seems to be important to me uh, in the directing experiences I have, and I actually had a first rehearsal yesterday um, on a play that I'm starting to work with, work on as a director, is to also, we did in our table work yesterday, we read through the play to just kind of reacquaint ourselves with the play. Everyone was familiar with the play and has been for a while. And then we kind of went through it in small chunks just to ask questions and talk about it. But it felt important to me after we had gone through about seven pages of the play and really kind of broken it apart and talked about it to give a, to let them read through what we had worked on again to kind of close the rehearsal, to let them kind of see what if, it in, if anything we had talked about 
made anything else illuminated when they did read from the beginning up to the point we worked on again to kind of give them some degree of completion or coming back around to what we where we started that felt important to me it felt um like if I had picked it apart, if we had picked it apart and then left it in this kind of pulling things out phase, it would have felt like we just walked out in the middle of the rehearsal to kind of, so to kind of find a way to come back around to it and give them a feeling of completion seemed important to me. On that idea of um, making the play the star of the first rehearsal, I would like to say that I'm an incredibly good play reader in advance of coming into rehearsal as an actor, um, but the truth is I'm looking at it through the lens of one character, and I've never been in a first read-through of a play as an actor that I haven't learned many, many, many things about the play from hearing the other actors read that I had missed on the page. Um, so I feel that having the play be the star is almost the only way for me as an actor to um, regardless of the order in which the rehearsal happens, having that as the center point of the, um, of the rehearsal, it jump starts the entire process for me and makes me feel like I am one piece in a large process with many players. I find in a, in a first rehearsal, what I like to do things in a little bit of a different order, but I mean, it's one of those things that there is no right way. It really kind of has to do with what you're trying to set up and how you're comfortable working. Um, I mean, I also think introducing people first is very important, uh, <laughs> so you know who's who. And then I like to do housekeeping things after that. You know, where it's like this: we're gonna. These are the. This is the rehearsal schedule. You know, any sort of kind of technical sort of considerations that we have to lay out then. And then, if it's a case where it's where it's appropriate to hand out the scripts at that point. Um, you know, to sort of like, and now working, um, and then to read through the uh, through the uh, script together. And one of the things that I really think is important in a first rehearsal is to really give people the permission to take whatever time they need to read it, and to really tell people, you know, this is exactly, you know, the, exactly what what you said, Matt. I think is that this is the only opportunity you will ever have to read this for the first time with the other actors. And that idea of really laying out that our goal here is not to get the rhythms right, the goal here uh, is not to say the lines the funniest, the goal here really is to hear what the other people are saying to you and say what you have to say to them and learn what you get from that. So even that idea of if you have to go down, get the line off the page, and then come up to say the line to the other person, if that means that there's two seconds between each sentence you say, that that's fine. The important thing is to use this rehearsal time to find out about your relationship to the play rather than just to read it out loud. Um, and then after uh, we've read through it, um, I actually like to ask the actors about what their impressions were, what their impressions are of the play, um, and to kind of hear what their first reactions are to the play. A lot of times I find what you hear is exactly what you were saying, Jen, is I read it at home, but I didn't realize until I heard it out loud how important this thing is or that thing is or this other thing is. And then at that point, that's when, uh, if we have a design presentation, I like to do it then. And, you know, I, I actually totally uh, see the, the, um, uh, the value of having them 
read the play in the context of the production. Um, I, I just like to have them see the production physicality laid out in the context of this reading and talking about their reaction to the show. And then uh, I uh, talk a bit about the play. And I mean, frankly, I do do something different than you, uh, uh, Matt, because I, I do tend to talk at relative length about the play. And one thing, actually, I think I'm very careful to do is not to be because it's at length, because it's didactically, this is what it is, but that idea of really talking about the possibilities of the play. And it really is something that this phase of rehearsal, the, the first rehearsals, the early rehearsals, and the uh, table work, I really think about as really in terms of preparing for the next exploratory part of the pl of, of um, the process to really be about expanding the possibilities of the world of the play and really getting the uh, getting the actors as much as possible to think expansively about all of the different things that are coming into play in this play and you know I kind of like to touch on a lot of history and a lot of you know things to notice and connections and what I actually really like to do and started doing this a while ago and I is to really talk about the play talk about themes and ideas not saying these are the themes but these are themes and ideas these are facts that are interesting about the play and surround the play and it will be interesting for us to explore how they live in this play with this group of people. But again, getting them thinking about the kinds of things that I think it will be valuable for them to think about. It's not about getting them to think specific things, but to get them to think about the world of things that we want this production to be about. And that idea that then to really, I like to, as you're talking about that, then go literally character to character to character and just talk about the value of that character, this story. and the dynamic possibilities that exist for that character. And literally, again, not say this is who Tybalt is, but to say these are the kinds of things that we know are going on in Tybalt's life. Is it also possible that this is going on? Is it also possible that this is going on? Is it also possible that this is going on? All of those things will be interesting to think about as we work on this, to really get their heads churning. And literally, if we're doing Romeo and Juliet, I'm talking about going from Romeo and Juliet all the way through to every single guard and the, world, and the, world, the role that they play in this world and the ways in which this world and this play can be about them. And kind of at that point, I then like to throw it out to thought, anyone have thoughts, comments, or questions, that that sort of, and, and to let people know that A, if there's anything anyone wants to talk about in light of that, not for nothing, usually people don't. It's kind of an information hyper download of, I mean, because that's, I think, part of why I like to talk at relative length and from a bunch of angles is that there is, I don't think it's possible for someone to walk out of that going, oh, he just told us what we're supposed to do because it's just too much information to know what to do with except to go home and start thinking a lot about stuff. Um, but that idea of then saying, you have thoughts, comments, and questions, um, and then to let them know that that is, because it is, that's how I like to start every rehearsal is, does anyone have thoughts, comments, and questions that has occurred to them since the last rehearsal we had? And I think that the idea of that is to kind of end people on hopefully an up note about the possibilities and excitement of what we're going to be doing and giving them the signal that this process belongs to them too and send them home on that note. Send them home thinking on the subway about the play and the possibilities of it. You know, and so that's that's kind of how I have grown to sort of engineer a rehearsal process. But it really is about sending people out thinking about the play in such a way that they're really going to be able to dig into it the next day at the table. And also leaving with the message that 
there is no one thing this is supposed to be. Even the director says there's 15 things that are at play in this thing. And I think that really gives the actors permission, I find at least for myself, even more than not getting into their business, to get so far into their business from so many different angles and then say any of that could be possible if it excites you, that it, gets, it gives them permission to really come in guns a-blazing the next day. I, I really like the idea of opening up the possibilities of the play and, and especially introducing questions and letting them introduce questions and exploring questions of the play so, so that the, and, and, and making them feel comfortable with the idea that these aren't questions we have to answer today. Making them understand that today is about asking questions. It's about figuring out how many questions are there and how many, and, and every time there's a new question introduced, throw another question at it instead of an answer. And, you know, and every time an answer comes out, finding another answer to show that that's not necessarily the right answer, but it's not, a, but these are all answers, you know, to, and I think that letting them leave with questions is just very valuable because even if it's just one question that they really leave that with stuck in their brain, they're not going to be able to get past that question. And it just, it makes them leave actively working on it until the next rehearsal. Uh, and something you said, Kit, that I really, uh, really love and, and try and actually hold my feet to the fire to do is uh, by the end of the first rehearsal, I like to have had a private one-on-one -on -one moment with each person to ask them questions about their character, to get them thinking about their character, uh, to find something positive and encouraging that I can bring out that they brought to that first read-through that they can continue to hold on to and give them like you said, other possibilities of things to begin to explore. So they leave the first rehearsal not only excited by the possibilities, but also feeling like they are already on the right track because of something that they themselves brought into the room that day uh, is always something that I, and it's, it's, it's again, it's Romeo and Juliet and it's the guard. It's every single person in the room having a, a private moment of connection with each actor to send them off back into the world to come back excited for the rehearsal the next day. And that's something that I try to do, which frankly takes practice to do. But if that's part of the reason why I like to, after the read-through, to ask for the impressions of the other people, what their reactions are. Because what I really try to endeavor to do is when I'm talking about the play and get around to their character, to talk about it in the terms that they have already said they connected to it. Um, and I think that that goes a long way to making them feel heard and to be heard and frankly can be a very helpful thing in terms of, you know, if somebody says something like that's an interesting idea, gets more interesting if we layer something else onto it. So let's talk about Tybalt in the terms that Will was talking about Tybalt and say, and that might even be re even more exciting to explore if we consider this thing about Tybalt. Anyway, moving on. But that's something that, you know, it, it takes practice to be able to do that on the fly, but I find it's something that can be really galvanizing, um, you know, in terms of that making actors feel as though you are there to take them seriously as a collaborator in this process. And I've also worked as a director, and when I have, um, that's a big piece of the, the early rehearsals for me, and it goes back to something you said earlier, Kit, about using each stage of rehearsal to prepare for the next stage of rehearsal because I feel like the first rehearsal and those questions and 
the ways in which the actors frame their questions and their responses, um, figuring out what their vocabulary is, is incredibly important to me right out of the starting gate so that not only can I help them be excited when they leave the room, but I am learning how to talk to them for tomorrow's rehearsal and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. It arms you as a director to understand not only how to talk to them, but the things that get them excited and and then when you look at the things that get you excited, how those things translate into each other. So it's like you're, you're finding the mechanism to activate them to do what you're hoping to achieve. And yeah. then from the other side, from the actor's perspective, to leave at the end of the first day and feel that you have started a communication with the director. It's critical. Because ultimately, a successful production is going to be about the meeting of the things that excite the director and the things that excite the actor and the things that excited the playwright and the things that excite um, the designers, you know, and and that's what makes a show really complex is not when those ideas do battle and one of them defeats the other, but the way in which they find the way to live together. And sort of that example that we've used for a few different things in the past, but that idea of if an actor uh, in a scene thinks the thing that's most important is their mother and the director seems to be thinking okay but they seem to be totally missing the fact that they're about to lose their job and that's the real stakes of the scene to make it about work with the actor to find the way in which the mother is very proud of them for having this job and so they need to realize that in order to not go home and tell their mother they got fired they need to save their job today but that idea of Frankly, the scene about the guy trying to save his job so he doesn't have to disappoint his mother is always going to be much more dynamic than the scene about the guy trying to keep his job or the guy thinking about his mother. And, you know, so that idea of, you know, as a director paying attention to what are people bringing to the table and how can you bring those ideas and your ideas together. It's not about giving up your ideas in the face of their ideas or asking them to do the opposite. It's about finding a way to live together. Uh, something else that just comes to mind is uh, that a lot of us around the table are playwrights. And so I would love to ask those of us that are playwrights, uh, what is the role of the playwright in the first rehearsal? How can a playwright use the first rehearsal? And what are ways the playwright shouldn't use the first rehearsal? It's a loaded question. And it's also a question, I think, that doesn't have one answer. I think it has a lot to do with exactly what the nature of the rehearsal process is. You know, and it, it's something we talked about, actually, on a, we did a, a whole episode a while ago about the playwright in the rehearsal room. And, you know, part of it has to do with, I think, what the goals of the process is. If, this, if we are really thinking this is still an in-process script that we are expecting to evolve significantly uh, in this process, you know, then part of it is really about introducing the playwright as a significant collaborator in this process. If it's either a already produced play that the playwright happens to be present for, which happens, or a play that has been well workshopped and everyone feels confident that this is really, except for maybe some tweaks, this is the, the script we're going with. I mean, I, I tend to think that the playwright should primarily be there in that case as a resource to the director to listen and um, to be able to be somebody that the director can talk to. I 
you know, really do think it's important, you know, again, unless it's a process about developing the script, to be clear that the director is the captain of the ship in the room. And, you know, therefore, you know, I, if I am a playwright who is not directing the play, I generally much prefer to be very socially friendly with the actors, but really not talk with them about the play, but to talk with the director about the play and be available if the director asks me to talk to the cast about something in the play, to be available to do that. In this situation where it is a more developmental situation, in the first rehearsal, I actually think it's really helpful to be able to, you know, really just kind of sit back and watch and see how is this room full of people interacting with this play for the first time. What is it like to hear it on these people? You know, are you going to be and be considering, which especially with musicals is very often the case, where you're actually going to be doing rewrites onto the actor that you're working with. Uh, if that's something you're planning on doing, I would very definitely spend most of my time observing at least for the first two or three days to figure out the people uh, that, these, that, that they are that you're working with. And I will also say, when I am a playwright in a room where it's been established ahead of time with the director, which I actually think is a really important part of it, is that the director and playwright, no matter which of these scenarios we're talking about, should sit down and have a discussion ahead of time about what they want their relationship to be in the room. But I try very, very, very hard in the first one or two or three rehearsals at least to avoid giving answers to anything. You know, that that idea of if somebody has a question, to give them a question back, to actually ask questions in the room of the actors. And not about how do you think I should rewrite this or do you think that's good enough, but that idea of, you know, that's interesting that you have this line here. What do you think, why do you think she chooses to say that to her at that moment? What's going on now that causes her to do that? Where the idea being, I wrote it, but I am, a playwright can do a huge amount to empower an actor by treating an actor like the expert on their character in that room rather than insisting on being the expert on every character in the room. The playwright can be incredibly helpful in that regard and incredibly destructive if they try to dictate performances onto the character, uh, onto the actors rather. I think as, as an actor I've worked in the room with playwrights in developmental processes a number of times and something Jenny said earlier about setting up the expectations of the process, of the, of the, the schedule and the rehearsal process, I think is critically important in that circumstance as well and that's information I hope to get from the stage manager or the director but knowing how, what the process is going to be for rewrites and at what point how I'm supposed to engage with learning new pages, at what point that will stop, and really having, having that information is incredibly important in order that I can work properly in each stage of rehearsal, knowing what I'm up against and how I'm engaging with the development of the play. And also just a very simple thing, but for a playwright to express their gratitude to the people who have come to bring their play to life is, just again can be inc incredibly buoying to the cast and the director frankly to know that the person who spent you know 150 hours in a room at a computer making this thing happen is now ready to say and now it's your turn to do something with this 
Because on one hand, it's, it's incredibly empowering, but it creates a real sense of responsibility to do their job well. You know, when somebody has said, here's my baby, take good care of it. It can be important. And I think there's something about the experience we've been talking about making the play the star of the first rehearsal and that feeling that the playwright brings it in as a collaborator in the room and then steps back and lets the other collaborators work on the play. In terms of um, the second and third and fourth and fifth, and perhaps one of the things we should talk about is how many rehearsals we're talking about, how do you guys like to approach and think about table work? That part of the process, sometimes depending on the length of the rehearsal day, can begin on the first rehearsal day. I mean, if you have an eight-hour rehearsal day, you may well move in uh, to table work uh, after your lunch break or something like that. But that part of the process where the actors and the director really go through the play and talk about the script before they're actually getting up and doing it. Uh, what are you guys looking to do during that phase of the rehearsal process? I am looking to build my arsenal of, of connections to the play and to the other actors. I'm looking for any little hook that I can find that I kind of can carry around in my bag so that as we continue to work on the play, I have this collection of things that I, that energize me and that I'm maybe emotionally and intellectually connected to so that as we are working through the play and working towards the, the arc of the, the character for me, I have asked a lot of questions and paid attention to which ones really give me some mileage. Yeah, I find that around the table, uh, for myself, the goal is to ask the most possible questions. Uh, it is the beginning of the investigation of the play. And, uh, and so, someone once said to me that the, the, the quality of the, of, the, of, the, of the product you get at the end is directly proportional to the quality of the questions you ask at the beginning. And I find that it's about finding new questions for myself, stimulating the actors with questions, finding out what their questions are so I can help lead us all to answers. Uh, often the actors will answer questions that I had about the play. Uh, and it's beginning to break the play down beat by beat, page by page, to really discover what's happening moment to moment throughout each scene and throughout the course of the whole play for every character from every character's perspective. And I think in terms of that, the uh, I mean, I think so much of it is about again, asking questions and positing potential answers. But I think for me, what's very important is the potential answers. That you, I get very nervous leaving any question with only one answer. You know, I think that that, in fact, a, a game that I like to play is you ask a question and the actor says, oh, well, it might be interesting if X. And they said, that is interesting. That is an interesting possibility. And it's also interesting if the opposite of X, because generally that's true. You know, you know, generally that is the case, that the opposite is also interesting. But that idea of making sure that you're not, you, you're not giving an answer to the question. But part of that, though, is the way that I really like to think about the table work is about really unearthing and identifying all of the possible storytelling opportunities in the play and try to be 
And maybe, and maybe not all of them are going to end up being an important part of the play and maybe won't even be expressed. But that idea of really figuring out what are the opportunities we have to tell a story. And I'm gonna, I want to play a game with you guys, which uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But this is a play that you guys all know. It's a play called Sunshine. And it's a play about a couple who have been broken up and have, are waking up after spending the night together for the first time in two years. And the opening stage direction reads, Lights rise in a middle-class suburban bedroom. The early morning sunlight is just beginning to creep into the room through the window. Grace, 31, lies nude, obscured in a tangle of sheets in the bed, resting peacefully as the birds chirp. Davy, 33, emerges from the bathroom, fresh from the shower and wrapped in a towel. He stands in the doorway brushing his teeth as he watches Grace sleep. What kinds of questions would you want to explore about just that opening stage direction? I, I, something that would be curious to me is how long has he been up and watching her? Has he just gotten up to brush his teeth? Has he been up the whole night? Those kind of questions I would gravitate towards first. Yeah, I, th I think those are fantastic questions. I would even start with what happened the night before? How did they get here? Where were they? What was that like? Were they drinking? All those kinds of questions. Whose house is this? And I think actually that idea of whose house is it, there's a lot more to dig into there potentially too. Because if this is, and it is established in the play, as this is a bedroom that they shared, were they renting it? Do they own it? Did they own it together? Do they still own it together? Once he left, how easy was it her to make the rent or make the mortgage here? Um, you know, that idea of the idea of if this was a room that they once shared, what things used to be in this room are no longer in this room because he's here? What things that are still in this room are things that he owns? I mean, all of those things would be worthwhile questions to ask just out of what is this room that they have here? Because the depending again on the particular emotional and intellectual makeup of the actor, any one of those things could be the thing that really triggers the understanding of the character about the play. That idea of potentially, it's never mentioned in the play, the financial situation of what's going on, but if something that really drives the actor is, you know what, I just barely got out from under the financial mess that you created for me when you left. You know, if that's something that really engages them in the scene, that's something you want to find, and that's something you can really find by asking, you know, really chasing down angles of questioning to their logical and sometimes even illogical conclusion. Well, and looking at the questions from the perspective of the actor, the thing that I land on is resting peacefully. And, I, and it, along with what Jenny started asking, how long has he been up? At what point was she able to start resting peacefully in this night? Has it been all night? Has it just been since he went to the shower? And, and wanting to explore those questions simply from the perspective of an actor, because that, as the actor, that's the thing I connect to. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that jumps out right at me and makes me want to run with the rest of the play. Yeah, and that's actually something that, as a director, if that's something that came out, I would be very interested to talk about, you know, how, how peacefully do you generally rest 
Have you shared this bed with other people? How do you generally sleep in bed with other people? Does he know you've shared this bed with other people? I mean, sort of that, that, that idea of as a director, hooking into the thing that interests the player, the actor rather, and really chasing it down. Because the thing that can become very dangerous a lot of, is in terms of making a performance general is, you know, you can't play resting peacefully for the first time in a long time. That's unplayable. You can't do that. But that idea of if that's something that really clicks for, an act, for, for the actor, you as a director can really help them and you as an actor can really help yourself to really chase down what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And again, to find it in playable terms. And, and I think a lot of times really to find it in facts. You know, that idea of you can say, okay, he's up before her. Why is he up before her? And there's a difference between saying because he had trouble sleeping versus he has laid awake for the last three hours with his arm under hers and has not and, and felt incredibly trapped and had to get up out of bed. Like that is a, that's something that, you know, if that's something that means something to you, is something that's much more useful than he felt uncomfortable in bed and got up. You know, how long has he been staring at that crack in the ceiling? And that idea of finding those specific things that are really going to move you. But a lot of that really has to do with, again, asking more and more questions and not just, and actually not just questions about a bunch of different things, but really follow-up questions and follow-up questions and follow-up questions until you find something useful. It's actually something Jenny and I were talking about the other day, but I, I, it's just really important as an actor and as a director to help actors to turn every single thing into an advantage. Every single thing in the play you want to turn into an advantage, find a way to think about it in a way that makes an advantage. There's a way to think about that tangle of sheets. There's a way to think about that window. There's a way to think about what is that towel that he's got wrapped around his waist. There's a thing to think about, did he used to wrap a towel around his waist when he went to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Or is that something he's doing today because he doesn't feel comfortable being undressed in this room anymore? But there's all these things that you can find if you not just ask questions, but ask follow-up questions. And the answer, I think, is when to stop following up. The answer is when you go, oh, that's helpful. Oh, that's interesting. But don't stop asking questions about something until you've found something helpful about it. How long, how long do you guys like to spend at the table before you get up and work? It depends on the play. Um, with something that's really text heavy, a really, really long time, because I want to have the opportunity to explore all of those questions about what's going on between the characters and all of the all of the deepening work that I want to be doing at the table, as well as having additional time to really dig into the text element. I don't know how that translates into days or weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it often depends upon the length of the rehearsal process. When you just asked that kid, I, I, I began to think, and I kind of realized it, it's about, for me, 25% of the process. So if I have four weeks, I spend a week at the table. If I have three weeks, I spend four or five days at the table. But even more than just a measure of time, I, I find much more frequently that the time to get away from the table reveals itself because the actors are leaping out of their seats to further play the scene with their partner. Uh, and, and that is a, a glaring clue that it's time to get rid of the table and begin to explore the play on its feet. 
that if you're really asking the right kinds of questions and investigating the play in the right way around the table, the transition from table to exploration feels seamless because it, it is now time to begin to explore the play physically as well. Yeah, for me, it's it's also a percentage, and and for me, it's actually twenty percent. And uh, you know, I like twenty percent of the of the play at the table. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a five week process. You do a week, and and I actually, I mean, frankly, I I, I think if you're doing really exciting rehearsal uh, 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 table work, you know, people are wanting to get up from ten minutes into the process, you know. Um, but I actually find it it's it's really important and helpful to actually get all the way through the play, to work your way all the way through the play. You know, and actually just the way I like to, to, do, to do it, and different people do do it, is it's important to me to read. Um, you know, so it's like, let's read, and then I let them read for usually a page and a half or so, kind of, you know, until it gets to a logical turning point, and then stop and talk about what we just read. Because I think it's it's helpful. I've been in rehearsal processes as an act as an actor where it really is like okay, let's just talk about the whole script, line by line, or and and that's difficult to do unless you've had it in your mouth recently. But I think because something that I've really found about the process is that even if you don't realize it, you're learning about the whole play even when you're not working on a given part of the play. And it's something that I notice for myself because, again, I really like to do extensive work on my script as a director before I get into the rehearsal room. If you look at one of my scripts, you can't see any white space on it. It's just notes everywhere. That said, I very, very rarely actually use those notes in rehearsal. It's the act of having made them that makes it useful. But part of what I also realize is the notes that are especially unhelpful are the ones in the first third or so of the play. Because it's the process of doing the notes in the whole play that if I were to start over again, I'd have different thoughts about the things at the beginning of the play. And that's actually why I think it's, it's really useful to be sure before you get up and start working that you really have gone through the whole play and really identified all of the nooks and crannies where story can be told. You know, and again, not to say that you have to tell the story in every single nook and cranny, but you are almost always going to be surprised at which one of them ends up being gold. You know, which ones of them end up being the really fascinating thing about the play that either really moves the actor about a play, or even as a director where you realize a, a way of telling a moment that you never would have figured out if you hadn't really chased down where did they buy that alarm clock. And the fascinating answer that comes up to that that makes you understand something new about the play. When you're talking about the play at the table, how personal do you like to be in the way that you're talking about it? In terms of talking about specific connections you have to the play, specific things from your life potentially, or do you really like to keep it within the scope of the play? Because I know different actors uh, and different directors really think about it in different ways. I feel like as an actor, I do like to um, talk about uh, how it relates personally or, or experiences that I've had that kind of connect me to the material. Um, I haven't had that experience um, with directing yet where I've gotten uh, or I've kind of talked about a personal experience. Not that I wouldn't or I'm against that, um, 
but I haven't. But I, I do like to create the 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 safe room, as it were, to for actors to feel safe to to share their personal any personal experiences or stories or, or whatever that help them connect. I kind of approach it the other way. I think I'm finding as a director I'm a little bit more personal at the table than I am willing to be as an actor. As an actor I like to hold my cards pretty close about what's personal. I'm willing to talk about what what point of connection there is to the play for me, but I, I like to keep it within the framework of the play. I'm looking for things that are personal, but I don't want to articulate exactly what those are to the room full of people. Um, I'm usually trusting my collaborators to recognize that things are personal and, and work, and I work towards figuring out how they match up with the scenario of the play. Uh, and I think that that, I mean, I actually tend to be somewhat similar. I find myself talking much more personally when I'm directing, you know, and, and not, you know, weeping, wailing. But I do think that it's really important to let the cast see what moves you about the play that's making it worth your while and their while to do it. And so by personal, I, I don't even necessarily mean personal things from your life, but that idea of being able to say, this thing reminds me of this story I read, or this thing that I heard, or a thing that happened to a friend of mine, and not, and, and then to really be able to show the way that that moves you and the way that the play might move you. And also sometimes, you know, it is something that, it does remind me of something that happened to me in my life and, you know, when I had this conversation with my uncle and, and it, uh, it, that's how I understand this play. And not to tell people they need to do it, but I think there's something that when a director is willing to A, be moved by the material and B, personalize the material in some way, it gives the actors the permission to do that, and actors have to do that in order to do their work well. And I find as an actor in the room, I actually tend not to connect it up to, I really don't connect it up to specific things that happened to me in my life. That's not how I, I don't use a lot of substitution and stuff in my work. But, you know, I, but I tend to get moved by what's happening or what potentially is happening to the character and the circumstances that surround them. And candidly, the reason that I get moved is because stuff that has happened to me. I mean, you know, but I don't think about it. I find it, I, I, I find that filter of trying to play the conversation I once had with my father through the conversation this character's having with their father, it just is too many backflips for me to do as an actor and unnecessary backflips to do as an actor. I, I think it's really interesting to think about this question in, in the context of table work, because I think that's almost exactly the, the issue for me, is if I make it too personal, if I articulate something too personally at the table, then it limits those questions and answers that we're talking about for me. It starts to focus them and potentially put, you know, kind of pigeonholes the way that my collaborators are working with me or talking to me about the play in a way that may not be helpful to me either because it's not the right way to connect personally or because it has shut other doors of imagination that I really need at the table. Well, that raises the question for me and maybe some of our more seasoned directors at the table can talk about it, but if, is there a time since we kind of started this discussion about the, our first rehearsal, and now we're talking a little bit further into the process with table work maybe being 20-25% of our, our, of our rehearsal time. Is there a point where you feel like it is safe? Because I definitely, I, for me personally, I haven't 
really been putting a lot of my personal feelings or personal connections of the play out in these early rehearsal stages. And I'm wondering if there are things that you see or are getting from out of the rehearsal process that make you feel more comfortable about putting that out there or if you feel comfortable to do that on the first day or if there's any differences. I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, for me, I think it's important. I mean, sort of that kind of overview thoughts about the play, it's very important to me to put some of the things that really move me about the play in there. I mean, and, and to signal that it's okay. It's a safe place. Because part of it is that idea of saying it's a safe place to put yourself on the line. It's a safe place to tell a difficult story of something that happened to you if you need to. It's a safe place to talk about this horrible thing you read about happening to somebody in a way that you get kind of choked up talking about it. That, that I, I really think there's a real way in which the director can lead by example of the idea that this is a safe place to do those things because you're willing to do those things too. I mean, that's sort of, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt, about that. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, although I also think something that is important to think about, especially from a director's point of view, is that different actors are going to want to be differently personal about things. And it sometimes can be a challenge to your social intelligence and emotional intelligence is where to figure out how to navigate that story. Because I have certainly, I have been in rehearsal settings where someone has said, well, you know, it really, and I don't like to talk about this, but it reminded me of the time my high school boyfriend raped me. Okay, we are, that might be something that's helpful for an actor to talk about in the room, but that's not something that a lot of follow-up questions about, you know, so where did it happen is really the director's place to do it. And it's challenging. I mean, frankly, a lot of when you say, I mean, I think a director really has to have to be successful, a really high emotional intelligence and just kind of be able to read those things. But I think as a rule of thumb, a helpful thing is to always bring it back to the play, to let them say what they've got in their mind and then say, and, you know, how does that you know, how do you find that helps you to connect to what happens in here? And maybe the answer is going to be, well, because there's part of the story I haven't told you yet, and let me tell you that. Well, if they want to do that, they can do that. But I also think it's something that, especially if it's sensitive personal stuff, if it's stuff about, you know, the difficult relationship the actor has with their father, it can be very helpful to the actor to have a safe place to talk about it. You want to provide them that safe room. But my feeling on it, and I don't know about your guys' feeling on it, is it is simply not the right of the director to bring it up again. That it is something that if somebody has said it reminds me of my relationship with my father and to give them all the space and support they need to talk it out to the extent they need to, but I just think it way oversteps two days later to say, remember how you were talking about your relationship with your father the other day? You should assume if the actor has brought it up they are incorporating it into their work, and if you've given them a safe place to talk about it, they will talk to you about it at the times they need to. I think a part of when we were talking about learning the vocabulary of each actor and how to communicate with each actor, a part of it absolutely has to be learning when not to use that actor's vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You never want an actor to regret anything they've done in a rehearsal room. 
I mean, that sounds obvious, but it actually is incredibly important, and every director should tattoo that on their arm. You know, that so much of, of what creating a safe place to work is, you know, is that idea that what happens in the rehearsal room is work product that is privileged. It is between the people who were there and it belongs to the people that it really belongs to. Um, you know, and that's just something in the table work place to be aware that that is the place more than any place else. I have found that I have learned things about people that probably most people don't know. And nobody who was in that room, other than the people who were in that room, should ever know that thing. And frankly, I mean, another thing that's important about keeping things safe is you, even if another actor was in the room, you don't talk about it with that actor because they will then wonder about what you're talking about, the things that they shared. It can be a delicate situation. I mean, I don't know about your guys' experiences in the room, but I have definitely had situations where people have talked very openly about very difficult topics. And it's, uh, it's a hazard to a degree of being a director, um, of having to figure out how to navigate people who are working through some very complicated ideas. Uh, yeah, Kid, I, I really do agree that it can be a hazard at times, but it is important that uh, everyone feels that, they have, that they're in a safe place where they can say anything they need to to connect to a moment or a play. And you really hit it on the head when you say it's about bringing it back to the play and the ways that it applies back to the play. And then in talking about the play, you're bringing up the experience they link to it. You don't have to say that terrible thing that happened with your father, uh, because that, for me, borders on therapy and not rehearsal. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a very fine line to walk sometimes, because uh, you know some actors, uh, in bringing themselves to a role, have to bring all of their own experiences, some of which are not pretty. And it is your job to support them bringing everything, but not your job to poke around in what they bring. And I also think that part of what can be helpful to all of that is the idea that a big part of what an actor's work can be, and especially at the table, is about expanding their character's life to a life that exists outside the four walls of the play. That you need to give your character the dignity to exist for reasons other than to do this play. And that idea that these are interesting excerpts from this person's life. But I think that that actually is a helpful way to think about the process and a helpful thing to keep in the back of your mind when dealing with these complicated issues because it really isn't about figuring out what's happening with the actor. It's about figuring out what's happening with the character. And again, because you want the actor to be able to understand clearly the character, you know, really understand where they're coming from and connect with them and want to stand up for them and believe in them. Sometimes it does require that people talk about personal things, but ultimately it's about steering it around to what are the facts of this character's life that is going to make that little piece of information about the actor useful to them. It is very rarely that they decide my character has had exactly the same thing happen to them. Sometimes it is, but very rarely. Much more often it's, you know, I'm telling you this thing about my father and da 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 da. Okay, then let's talk about the character's father. Um, you know, what did he do for a living? 
And I think, you know, like, not because they say, my father was so terrible because he was an airline pilot and was never home. So what did the character's father do for a living? But that idea of say, okay, talking about fathers, interesting. Let's talk about fathers and start on something different and let them ask them follow-up questions. Let them paint this picture of their father and painting the picture of their father in light of having just had this discussion about their own relationship with their father, they will almost certainly paint a useful picture of this character's father. And maybe one that has flecks of the color of the actor's father, but is the character's father rather than the actor's. And that's an example of a time that um, not letting there be just one answer to any question, that the opposite side of, of the coin could be really a useful question to put on the table as well. Yeah, because that actually is some. I mean, we're going with the father, but if there was somebody who had a very difficult relationship to their father, it actually might help them to connect in really interesting ways to say that this character had a very supportive relationship with their father. Although, again, you can't play very supportive relationship with your father. You can play in a scene, I'm going to try to thank Dad for, you know, taking me to the to my little league games even when he was on a respirator or whatever I mean you know but that idea of digging into the facts of what does that mean this idea what does that mean and one of the things actually that I have noticed lately I don't know if you've ever noticed this map but I have noticed it almost without a fall I am a, a fan of actors and as an actor I really like to talk to, about my character in the first person I think it can just be very helpful to connect to them but one of the things that I have noticed lately is that actors who do not default to talking in the first person will talk in the second person or talk in the third person rather about and he and she about ideas that might be interesting about the character but aren't playable when they hit on something playable it becomes first person and I've mm. noticed that that happens over and over and over and over again. So like, well, you know, I just think she's the kind of person who doesn't like her roommates and, you know, she just really doesn't get along with them and she thinks that they get into her stuff and, you know, I just want her to stay out of my room. Okay. It's, it's amazing. I was like, okay, you just want to stay out of your room. That's something you can play because you refer to it in, in, in the first person. But it's actually, I mean, something I think for directors to pay attention to, but even actors. I mean... To pay attention to that if you find yourself talking in a table work rehearsal about your character as he or she keep asking deeper questions until you come up with one that you have to answer as I because it's something that you feel like you want to stand up for so before we wrap up this first episode in this series and uh, talk about the next phase of rehearsal with exploration what is it that you want to have achieved by the end of this first phase of table work? I would like to leave the table work phase of things as an actor having a, I, I talked earlier about kind of a, a bag of tricks, so to speak, um, having a good handle on some of the things that really make sense to me and things that I might want to talk about in the first person, um, but also a good handle on some of the, the open questions, the things that I can't quite nail down yet. I don't I don't know how, I don't know my way in on this thing or that thing. Um, and I also, I, I mean, I think it leads into an exploration process and having a sense of what I need to explore. But I also want to have had a chance to work with the other actors and 
find a find a rhythm with the other actors and also have had a chance to highlight some of the moments that might need to be explored so that we have shared information about them um, things that we can go into the next phase of rehearsal knowing that this is this is a moment we could mine and maybe having an idea how to do that and maybe not but knowing that this this is something worth digging into together the thing that I always like to think about with table work is the metaphor I draw is it's about building the maze. It's about trying to walk out of, walk away from the table with everyone having a sense that these characters live in a rich and complicated world. And when it comes time to actually get up and deal with each other, that you've talked about all sorts of possibilities of things that could be true, things that might be true, things that some people might know is true that other people might not know is true. So the idea being that when you're up there working with the other actor, you have an array of obstacles in your way, an array of complications, and that idea that you need, that you have context within which to deal with the other actors that it's not just two people on an open field, but it's two people having to battle for the things that they need on a complicated and hopefully at the end of, of the table work process, a complicated but beginning to be defined terrain on which the battle between these characters is going to take place. Yeah, very, I, I, I very much think about it in a similar way, Ken. I like to think that when we leave the table, we, we know what the obstacle course is and we have the tools to make our way through and also have an understanding of the tools we still need to find. So mm -hmm. it's also knowing that we, we got a lot of answers, but there are bigger questions to tackle now that we're entering the next step of the process and kind of turning our eyes to that prize uh, as we set forth into the obstacle course. All right, I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you're interested in learning more about the Cry Havoc Company, about our programs, our classes, uh, our public events, and ways that you can support our work, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you like what you're hearing and would like to let other people know about it as well, uh, tell them the podcast is out there. And also you can go to iTunes to subscribe or to write us a review or give us stars. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, please email us at podcast at cryhavocompany.org. And if you'd like to follow the Cry Havoc Company, you can find us on Twitter at CryHavocNYC or as the Cry Havoc Company on Facebook. So for myself, Matt, Jen, Jenny, Will, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.